0: Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is
1: Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us is House Delegate from the state of Virginia, a state that I know and love, Danica Rome, also the author of the brand new memoir, Burn the Page. Thank you so much for being here today. Good morning.
0: Thank you so much for um, uh, bringing me on this morning. I'm really happy to talk to you.
1: So um, this memoir um, is really, really funny. I highly recommend it. It's very, very different from other political memoirs, other memoirs more broadly. Why did you decide to write it and why did you decide to write it now?
0: Sure. So um, after the uh, November 2017 election, when I won my first of what's now three terms to the Virginia House of Delegates and became the first out-and-see a trans-state legislator in the country... Um, I was uh, contacted by Anna Sparrow-Latmer, is uh, my agent now, and she had recommended, hey, you know, you, th- you have a really good story here. And I made a really just kind of flip comment during the campaign when I was talking to Cosmopolitan. Um, and I said, and someone said, well, you know, legislators aren't paid that much in Virginia and our salaries are $17,640. So what would, you know, what would you do for other work? And I was, and I just kind of like, kind of flip, flippantly reply, like, Oh, I'm sure the first out and see trans state legislator in the country uh, defeating the self described chief homophobe of Virginia will probably be some interest in a book deal there. And so I got attacked for that comment in the campaign. Where it was like, Danica Room wants a book deal. And then, oh, well, I got one. <laughs> And, um, and so, you know, when I started writing the actual book, you know, the point that I wanted to get across to people was the importance of setting fire to the stories you don't want to be in anymore and owning your own narrative. And I think one of the things, you know, based on the last segment that you just had on that Democrats sometimes don't always get right, that we really, really need to, is we need to define who we are. We can't allow the other side to define us for us. These are our stories to tell, and we need to tell them with all the confidence in the world that comes with the very affirmation and validation of our existence.
1: I love that so much, and I, and I, I love the premise of this book. Um, as it relates to what you just said, which is sort of taking the stories that people are telling about us, taking the stories that um, even sort of um, those stories that we've told ourselves that are, you know, the the times in our life where we got hurt, where we were betrayed, where we didn't have trust, like all of those stories and that like haunt us. You know, you're thinking of a story right now, everybody at home, uh, a story that, you know, makes you kind of cringe because you did something embarrassing or whatever. Just rewrite those stories, like just just change them. And it, particularly, if people are distorting them um, to make themselves <laughs> into the hero and you into the villain or whatever. But basically, what you did, which I love, is you took your Oppo research and you were, you dismantle it. <laughs> that's what this book is, and and that's what this memoir is, and that's why it's so cool. Take take the opposition research, even if you're not a political candidate, and the stories about your life, and rewrite them the way that that you want. Them to be right,
0: yeah. So, you know, it's not necessarily that I dismantled every bit of opposition research as much as I addressed it head on. Mm -hmm. And every chapter starts either with an opposition research hit against me, a negative news headline, an editorial, a letter to the editor that was critical of me. Um, there's just like, and they're they get excessively funny in some cases. Like, my favorite one was the um. The Washington Post ran a headline for me two weeks uh, before uh, my election in 2017. And I'll just kind of paraphrase here, but it's like, Marshall Ad accuses Rome of lewd behavior in old video of her band. Um, And then the executive director of the Republican Party of Virginia at the time, John Finley, he told the Washington Post that in the video, it was clearly implied that I had performed group oral sex in this comedy music video. And so my first reply to them was, implied and my second reply to that was excuse me this was this equivalent of a spit take on the daily show or like Saturday live and you're gonna get on me for this after the president of the United States you know the person who won in 2016 had um admitted bragged about sexually assaulting women get the hell out of here so you know that was one of those things where it's just like look at it in the context too right you can have had a life you can make jokes you can have you know, you know, in my world, I spent 12 years in heavy metal band. Yeah. And I own the narrative about that. And at the same time, I also spent more than nine years, two months and two weeks as the lead reporter of the Gainesville times covering my lifelong home community of Western Prince William County in Northern Virginia from 2006 to 2015, when I authored more than 2,500 news stories about greater Prince William. And so I know the public policy issues of the people who, you know, I now represent, I know Haymarket, Gainesville, Manassas, Manassas Park, like the back of my hand. And next year I'm running for the, you know, 30th district of the uh, Virginia state Senate. And that's still Western Prince William city, Manassas city, Manassas park. And the thing is, I don't think my constituents expect me to have a spotless, perfect, you know, just like, you know, just everything in my entire life has been leading up to this moment in politics life. They expect me to know the policy issues to be effective, which is why we've passed thirty-two of my bills into law now, including nine this year with a Republican House of Delegates and a Republican governor. And at the same time, they expect me to, you know, understand what they're going through. And like, I drive a two thousand and four Nissan Sentra with a giant dent in the bumper, and that's the first time I've owned a car made in this millennium. You know, like Nissan, I those eight-
1: engines really—I have to say, my dad always <laughs> said this about Nissan's, like. That car will drive until like all of the doors fall off onto the street and like the engine will still go. That's what he always said about Nissan. So it's funny that you mentioned you have an older Nissan that's still going. I love it.
0: Yeah, that's kind of funny. Right, right. So that's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, you know, otherwise, I, I'm really, I'm really at a place where, you know, it's just like, yes, my story. Even if people are like, I don't know what it means to be transgender. I don't know what your story is about being a metalhead. I don't get all of that sort of stuff, but I do know what it's like to not have health insurance in my adulthood, which I did from the time I was 30 until three weeks after I was sworn in to the House of Delegates in 2018, you know, and and my constituents were like, I do know what it means you know, for, you know, teachers in this area to not be able to afford to live in the same community that they teach in. I do know what it means to have a really crappy commute on Route 28, which my mom had battled for 40 years to get to her job near Dallas. And so these have been the priorities that I've actually been working on. And I kept my word. You know, I, you know, said I would vote for Medicaid expansion after my predecessor voted against it. I did on May 30th, 2018. And because of that, 674,000 Virginians now have health insurance during a worldwide pandemic who would have otherwise been left uninsured. That's a story Democrats need to be talking about nationally and throughout Virginia every single damn day. And the fact that we've kind of abandoned it because, oh, well, it happened in 2018, excuse me more people are getting signed up for this every single day it is still working because democratic initiatives provided health care for people why the hell isn't that that front and center of the things we talk about every day that to me is owning the narrative
1: I, i like that so much it's like no you don't there's no time limit on when you, you sort of credit the things that are still continuing to help people. In we need to policy. defend it when the other yeah, side's trying to exactly. dismantle it. <laughs> right, and I, and, I, and I love that. Define yourself. I mean, that applies to so many things, not just politics, but like don't let other people and the stories that they're telling about you impact what you think about yourself. I mean, who do you think you are when you put your head down the pillow and you go to bed at night because nobody else is really there with you? Um, one of the other questions I had is, this is a moment in which, you know, it's both like Gen Z gives me all the hope because they're the generation um, that is, you know, not necessarily in politically progressive, but they're they're accepting they're progressive. They, um, you know, if you if you meet a, a young person right now, they are quick to introduce themselves with their pronouns, ask you for your preferred pronoun I mean like they're on another level um, of of sort of this idea where um they don't see the world the way that our parents and grandparents did they they're seeing the world in a, in a whole new way but at the same time there is a response and a reaction to that so there' have been st- you know, anti-trans bills on the state level, the Don't Say Gay bill down in Florida. Um, Virginia, unfortunately, just elected a Republican governor who wants to run for something higher, so he's probably going to do some shenanigans or attempt to do understand. some shenanigans. Um, and I, it makes me really sad because I really, Virginia is one of my one of my second home states. Um, so in terms of the message um, and, and sort of incorporating the... the the lens that young people in Gen Z have, which is inclusivity, um, acceptance, representation, and sort of weaving that into a political message in this moment? I mean, how do you do that and fight back against so many of these laws that are attacking trans kids? I mean, if you can't come up with a message to say like, that is a bad thing. <laughs> um, you know, I have a lot of questions. So so how do you do that? How, what does that sound well,
0: like? First off, so when I launched my first campaign in 2017, my platform, I had four main planks in my platform, which was fixing Route 28, bringing high-paying jobs to Indonesia Park, expanding Medicaid, um, along with raising teacher pay. And then the other one, was making Virginia a more inclusive Commonwealth. I have run on inclusivity all three of my campaigns, and you better believe it will be a very central part of my 2023 platform as well, because Western Prince William, Manassas, Manassas Park, this is a wonderfully, beautifully diverse tapestry of inclusivity in my com- you know, in my area, where people from all around the world have chosen to call home. And so What I see on that is I work to make Virginia a more inclusive commonwealth, so no matter what you look like, where you come from, how you worship, if you do, or who you love, that you are welcome, celebrated, respected, and protected because of who you are, not despite it and not for what discriminatory politicians tell you you're supposed to be. You be you better than anyone else ever could because you're the only one who ever can. That message unseated a 26-year, 13-term incumbent who was 40 years my senior, who had filed anti four anti-LGBTQ piece of legislation just in 2017 alone, let alone all the other years, who authored the 2006 constitutional amendment banning marriage equality, which by the way, my governor was blatantly wrong about on um, CBS last weekend, two weekends ago, when he said on Face the Nation that... Um, basically that same-sex marriage is protected in Virginia. Therefore, as governor of Virginia, same-sex marriage is protected. It's like, excuse me, that is, uh, it was PolitiFact had rated that as um, mostly false and said uh, that it was um, basically that, I'm trying to remember this, the um, syndrome for deceitful that they were using, but you know, basically it didn't tell the full story, right? Where it's like, yes, that's only being protected right now because of the Obergefell versus Hodges ruling in the federal court in 2015. And because of that, our state constitution right now, that provision in uh, Article 115A is not being held up. However, to say that's it's protected when it's in the constitution to ban it, that's ridiculous. So, you know, just in short, I think it's incumbent on us to actually recognize what the numbers are, our constituents here, at least in Northern Virginia, they very, very much want us to make a more inclusive commonwealth where they support their LGBTQ neighbors. And yes, we have problems where we've seen, you know, vitriolic things, even in Northern Virginia, being said at school board meetings, for example, about LGBTQ kids, where I remember in 2016, when I was advocating for non-discrimination policy, people say, and I wrote about this in the book, by the way. And so in my book, Burn the Page, I talked about my advocacy before I ran for office. And one of the things I encountered was like one of the adults who took the microphone on camera saying that LGBTQ kids were abominations who were damnable and damned by God. And then I watched one of the elected Republican County supervisors in the area who just lost a race for Congress, by the way, applaud him for saying that. And if you imagine what it's like to be a kid watching that happen in a school board, imagine what it's like riding the school bus with the kid of that parent who said that, assuming that parent even has a kid in public school in the first place, which a lot of them didn't. And so one of the things I write about in that was the reason I decided to take the microphone and speak You know, when I was 32 years old was because I didn't have to worry about that like those kids did at that point. As the you know newspaper reporter who's you know been in the public eye at that point, this is before he even ran for office. I knew what it's like at that point to put myself out there, to make myself vulnerable enough to be visible and to take whatever slings and arrows come my way. But that's not necessarily the position that a lot of these kids find themselves in. And so if we're gonna stand up for those kids, it's about creating a warm, welcoming, and inclusive affirming environment for them so that they can, you know, as we learn in Catholic school, be who you are and be that well, even though that message doesn't always apply to the actual lived experience that you might have in Catholic school.
1: <laughs> that's really funny. It's like, it's actually might not align with real lived experience. Um, uh-huh. I I also love the fact that, you know, this, this book is really, I think a, a good guide for any young person um, who's thinking about how to, how to utilize their power, um, how to change the world around them when they see things like you did in your own community. That need to be fixed, whether it be the highway or, um, you know, our systems, our political systems. Um, But there's also and we started the conversation by talking about some of, um, you know, the the opposition research um, that you try to address head on. But I think a lot of young people are probably scared that, like, they have skeletons in their closet or whatever, and that's why they can't run. How did how did you overcome those fears?
0: Well, oh, I overcame those fears by basically just um diving, diving off the uh, the deep end of the pool and learning how to swim. <laughs> the only way to confront your fears is That's to literally go. how
1: I learned how to swim, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As a
0: baby. Uh, yeah. So well, ra- rather than um, push you off the deep end, I would prefer if someone, you know, maybe just put you in the shallow one first to kind of let you figure things out and work your way up. But you know, in my case, it was when I started transitioning i was 28 years old when i went into therapy um november 21st 2012 and 10 years later by the way i still see my therapist we need to destigmatize mental health and oh then they-
1: therapy every the- other week team therapy there- love yeah, therapy. and that's
0: well, it- I think a lot more adults in positions with large platforms need to say that very loudly because it's not like there's something that's wrong with this. And oh my God, you're mentally unstable or whatever. It's like, no, in the same way that if you stub your toe and you know, something fractures or whatever, and you see your doctor or you have other doctor appointments for anything else, you should be able to check in for your mental health just like anything else. And it shouldn't be a big effing deal. But you know, that's just kind of how society Here's the thing. is. I
1: actually think it's yeah. a it's a sign that like I am healthy. Are you Guys yes. look, are you guys paying attention to the world around us we're living through a global yeah. pandemic nobody's ever lived through that we had an attack on our capital whole insurrection a president who tried to overthrow the government wants to run for president again there's a lot you know what i mean like th- well, there's a shortage of tampons like there's a lot going on you probably need to talk to somebody about it i understand like this is yeah. a sign of healthy <laughs> healthy mental I health is that. i would need therapy is- in this moment
0: anyone who needs uh more direction for how to confront those fears i laid it out in my book burn the page you can check it out it's available through viking books there's the ebook audiobook that i recorded myself by the way and uh the hard copies out there too so just the the answers are there and i promise i will make you laugh along the way as you find them
1: i i will definitely listen to the audiobook i didn't know that you actually read it so that makes me want to listen to it i was reading um the the advanced copy but I also um, have to say I recommend it. It is hilarious. I mean, you just you just have to read it. Um, political memoirs aren't always funny, you guys. They're just really this is not, not a typical. <laughs> this is not the typical political I, memoir. That is not what you're going to get here. This is more.
0: If you enjoy references to Swedish melodic death metal, you are going to love this book.
1: <laughs> oh, that is such a good plug, Danica Rome. It was so terrific to have you, delegate in Virginia, running for state senate, also author, brand new memoir, "Burn the Page: A True Story of Torching Doubt, Blazing Trails, and Igniting Change." It was terrific have you on and to have this conversation i hope um, so we can we can do it again in the future um it was so so wonderful to talk
0: i'll be happy to thank you again for the invitation thank
1: you so much <laughs> thanks for listening to mornings with zerlina check in for new episodes every weekday